Welcome to the Play-Based Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen R.B. Peterson, and maybe your new teacher bestie that is here to hype you up, maybe give you a motivating kick in the pants, and teach you all I know about play and childhood. I am here to help you challenge old and outdated practices and inspire you to create a truly developmentally appropriate early childhood environment that fosters creativity, curiosity, and joy in the children that you care for. Let's set the stage for a lifelong love of learning. Let's get going. I'm so excited to have my friend and fellow early childhood play advocate with me. Her name is Jean Marie Dagrin. Welcome, Jean Marie. I'm so oh my gosh. I'm so excited you're here. <laughs> Thank you, Kristen. I'm so excited to be with you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. Okay. We're gonna talk about, well, it's probably one of my favorite things to hash out with people. And it seems to be maybe one of yours as well. So we are actually talking about the big old buzzword that you hear everywhere. Developmentally appropriate practice, DAP, D-A-P. That's what we're hashing out today. So, okay, let's start with your definition. What does that mean to you? My definition? Well, I think uh, developmentally appropriate practice is such a widespread term used in our field and it's used very loosely, I'm seeing. But for me personally, and in my experience, developmentally appropriate practice is how we are honoring and protecting childhood. What are we doing to, to honor and protect childhood? Because developmentally appropriate practice is such a large term and it means so many different things and it looks very different in different environments, early childhood environments. So really it's how are we honoring and protecting childhood? How are we making play a priority? Because that is a huge piece of developmentally appropriate environments and early childhood settings. How are we meeting children where they are at developmentally, providing a wide variety of materials um, and allowing children to explore? I could go on and on. How are we respecting them? How we speak to them? All of that, those things are developmentally appropriate practices that when I go into a classroom, I like to see. Absolutely. Okay, so... What's interesting to me is when I go and do trainings all around the United States and sometimes other countries, I will ask, like, what is developmentally appropriate practice? And a lot of people don't know how to answer that question. Mm -hmm. And I reflected on that, too, because, I mean, 10 years ago, I would have had no idea how to define developmentally appropriate practice and why it's important because I was so focused on teaching the children and being a teacher and doing all the teachery things that like developmentally appropriate practice just kind of fell by the wayside because I was like getting them ready for kindergarten, you know, and yeah. in turn, like completely not providing a developmentally right, appropriate right. environment at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do see that in classrooms where, you know, teachers it's it's like a very transactional process in their classrooms where they're just checking off things that they do throughout the day just to get through the day and so for me as an administrator of early childhood programs over the past 27 years i i go into a classroom each and every time with these three questions in mind and it's how do i feel when i walk into a classroom what am i hearing and what do i see mm. and really the hearing and the seeing part really affects how I feel. So yeah. I feel going in, it's like, you know, when we go into a spa and we, we, that Zen moment where it smells nice and there's music playing and we just feel like, ah, oh, we take that deep breath and we just, all the anxiety or stress in our bodies go out. 
when I, and it's very different in a preschool setting, but when I go into a preschool setting, how do I feel? Is my anxiety building up? Is my stress level building up? If it is for me, how does, how is that for children? You know, and I noticed when I was in the classroom teaching, because I taught in a very traditional setting before I knew play and then taught in a very play-based setting, my anxiety was so much lower in a play-based program when allowing children to have control over their own learning and control over their space and their time and materials. Like when you can drop the control that we feel we need to have over children, I feel like just in turn, a more developmentally appropriate environment like is discovered. Yes, yes, yes. It's so amazing and it's so magical. For sure. Oh my goodness. Okay. Talk to me. I want to know what your journey in early childhood has been. Yeah. So I've, you know, how much time do you have? I have been in the field of early childhood for gosh, a little over 30 years. I started out as a preschool teacher when I was 19, when it was, you only needed the 12 units to teach preschool. A lot of product art was happening back then. Mm, Yeah. But then, you know, as I graduated from college and got my degree, I went into, you know, I was thrusted into an administrative role. And from there, that's all I've been doing really. And I've had the opportunity to work at both in the public and private sector, for-profit, non-profit programs. I've taken many programs through NAEYC accreditation. So I learned a lot about developmentally appropriate practice through that. But I would say my transformational period in my career is when I was one of the managers at a community college child development lab school. Mm. And there, there I just learned so much and took with me along the way from there. So I learned how teachers speak to children, how children regards teachers and what they call teachers. And just so much I learned from there. And with that experience too, so outside of my full-time job, I'm still an administrator overseeing early childhood programs. But in addition to that, I do work as a part-time adjunct faculty teaching early childhood courses at the community college level, which is oh, in wow. itself is amazing because I get to have these students who are so excited and fresh and have all this knowledge. And like, I really feel like I can, I am contributing to their path. Yes, you are. And I think that that's where we need, we need people that are teaching those courses who understand developmentally appropriate practice and have actually like lived it and see it Yeah, because like my college experience was one where we were taught that craft projects were one of the best ways to get children to work on certain skills and worksheets and like really, really teacher-directed lesson plans and long circle times. And that set me up on a path of like not doing what's best for children. Yeah. Yeah. We need people like you in those, in those positions. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. How many college students do you like reach each semester? It just depends. Like I, I will be starting back up in the spring and it depends on, you know, each semester depends on how many courses I get. So probably uh, 40 a class. So it could be up to 80. I won't do any more than two classes a semester just because it it will impact, you know, my life in a way because I still work full time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, But yeah, probably 80 students a semester, which is huge. That's very huge. Okay. So back to developmentally appropriate practice. So I, um, there's a gal named Heather Burnt Santi. She has a podcast called that early childhood nerd. And she actually, instead of in, of referring to it as developmentally appropriate practice, this is what somebody else told me. And I need to like 
message her and, and connect with her on this, but she calls it being developmentally informed, mm. which I thought was pretty powerful because yeah. that's really what it is about. It's it's mm-hmm. a be- about being informed about what is developmental. So like yeah. what resources do you know of that that caregivers, teachers can go and say, okay, is this in line with what's developmentally appropriate? Like, how do we know what's developmentally appropriate? I don't know, Kristen, that's a good question. I think that um, any EYC is such a huge resource that um, so many don't utilize. And I think that just by becoming a member of any EYC, there's so much on there that really speaks to that. But I also think a huge benefit is teachers who are maybe in a rut or questioning their current practices, it's so beneficial to go and observe other teachers who are actually implementing it. Absolutely. So um, I, yeah, I, I think that is the biggest um, thing to be had is to go actually observe teachers who are implementing it and, and really who are effective at it. Absolutely. How do you know if they're implementing it and effective at it? Well, I go back to my three things that I question myself. If I go into a classroom and it is um, running like a smooth oiled machine, kids are engaged. I'm hearing the voices of children and I'm not hearing teachers talking over children. I'm hearing, I'm seeing children um, having the ability to explore in their environment and Mm. and, um, really be the leader of their learning. And so it's just a feeling you get. And after all these years, I can know almost almost immediately when I walk into a classroom, it's that feeling. Like, I just mm. know this is the mm. right place for children to be. This is where I want to come hang out every day, you know, as an adult. And so um, I think that's a huge, huge, huge piece is identifying those teachers who are just rock stars in the field that are doing it and saying, go see this person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So um, how, Okay. How so? If you are a teacher in an early childhood program, or I'm speaking to the listeners, so like if there's a listener out there that's finding themselves in a program where um, maybe there's a lot of teacher-directed learning, and I say learning loosely because it's probably not actual real learning and understanding. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> how? What are some like baby steps? Like where do they start? They start with like finding out more about NACI and, and their position statement on and DAP, but like, what are some small changes they can make right away to, mm-hmm. to encourage a more developmentally appropriate atmosphere or environment for children? I think it all starts with the relationship that you build with the child and that rapport that you build with children. And so um, opening yourself up to um, developing that, that, relationship with kids is so important and, and sharing that mutual respect with children. So I think it starts there. It always starts with the relationship, right? And, um, and in addition to that, the relationship that you develop with the parents, because so much of what we do in our field, we're always having to sort of justify, like, this is why they're playing all day. This is why Yes. Parent. And so when you develop that rapport with parents too, is, and build that mutually respectful relationship with them, you get their buy-in. And it's amazing to see, you know, just that little piece, how that can transform your teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when that relationship is built, then you naturally want to do things differently. 
than maybe the majority of people who are doing more traditional stuff. You you just want to engage your children on a higher level, mm-hmm. you scaffold their learning. You want to just be all that for them. And so I think that's a natural course it takes. Yeah. And, and we have that gut feeling in our belly that is telling us what feels right. Right. So right. Um, I think that in, in and of itself is, is the push and is the first step. Yeah. I think <clears throat> one of the things that I've noticed in early childhood rooms where it seems to lead more to developmentally appropriate practices when the children's voices are louder than the adults in the room. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. the adult's voice is being heard more than the children's, yeah. then it's probably not the most developmentally appropriate space for young children. Right. Right. So we need to hear the kids' voices more. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I always say that to um, teachers that I'm, I'm mentoring, like if I were to go into your classroom, what would I hear? Yeah. And if it's, you know, a very directive teacher, you know, shouting across the classroom, that's, that's not, we shouldn't be doing that, you know, so yeah. we need to be hearing the voices of children. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. I want you to, so we're talking about how do I feel? Um, what do I hear? I, so Bev Boss, if you yes. know who Bev Boss is, she said okay. that music is like a memory, a hook to hang a memory on. So thinking back to like your own childhood, what are some different, where, where do you remember music being? Oh, music was such a huge part of my life. My father just loves to sing. And so he was always singing and, and, you know, he loved Frank Sinatra and Lionel Richie. And just, it was just always a part of, you know, our environment and in our Mm -hmm. home. And so, yeah, that's, that is a huge memory and and it has impacted my life and just in so many ways, you know, just those memories of childhood and having that experience. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, okay. So Lisa Murphy, the wee gooey lady, yep. she talks about the seven things and I don't know that I'm going to be able to rattle all the seven things off, but they're the seven things that she says that need to be present in an early childhood environment for it to be child centered, which then in, in my opinion, makes it more developmentally appropriate. So, mm-hmm. um, we have create, um, sing, read, observe, move. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what are the other two? You're almost there. Come on. <laughs> um, <laughs> observe, create, sing, read, move. Um, I don't know what the other two are, but those maybe I'll Google. Okay. So knowing <laughs> what those are, yeah. how does that fit into in your opinion, planning for an early childhood environment? Like how do we best plan for a developmentally appropriate space? Well, I'm a firm believer in emergent curriculum. So I I feel like planning takes every day at the end of the day for the next day, based on where children are in their process of play. Um, But it's funny you mentioned the whole music thing because I am seeing a trend and I think it's a it's a, a push like from the kindergarten on up world with the use of technology and teachers using iPads to here, let's sing along with this video. And, and that that's where I feel teachers 
need to do away with that. And let's sing with the children. We may not have the best singing voices, but let's sing with them. We're, we're kind of losing that piece of it or just yeah. having it happen organically rather than showing a screen and let's sing along with the, the cartoon figure on the screen. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that, that just kind of triggered me. But in terms of planning, I, I do think that it needs to happen organically every day based on, you know, what's happening that day. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, if you're seeing trends in your classroom, then knowing that you need to start collecting certain materials to add in. If you're seeing Mm. children's play is deep into one area, then how can I, what can I bring in tomorrow or what can I get over the weekend um, to bring in to kind of continue to scaffold their learning and get them engaged? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Tell me your top five read alouds for young children. <laughs> You're like, what? why are you asking me this, Kristen? I was prepared for this. But um I don't know. I'll ha- I'll have to Google that. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'll can I tell you some of mine? Yes, please. Okay. The book with no pictures. Have you ever uh-huh. have you ever read that one? Yes. I love okay. that one. Um the little old lady who wasn't afraid of anything. Mm-hmm. Have you read that one? Yes, yes, yes. I love that one. Okay. Tap the magic tree. Mm-hmm. Um, one dog canoe, and the bog baby. Ooh, those are some of my favorite. I'll have to get those. You know what does come to mind? Have you heard of the bo- the the book called Not a Box? Yes. And that's so powerful too, because there's yes. so many things kids could do with the box. And so you could, you could have a whole thing surrounding a box and the creation of that. It's kind of like your whole philosophy on anything's a canvas, right? So yeah, um, yeah, I, that book is great. And there's a lot of, um, I'm really into the social emotional piece too. There's a lot of books about feelings that I, I like that I have in my office. Actually, I, I can't off the top of my head, think of the, their yeah. titles, but yeah. Okay. So what does developmentally appropriate practice look like during circle time? What would a developmentally appropriate, let's say for Mm four-year-olds, not going off to kindergarten the next year. Yeah. Um, so what would a developmentally appropriate circle time look like in your opinion? Oh, that's funny. I am just having so many visions in my head right now, but (laughs) I, (laughs) I think a developmentally appropriate circle time would be one that is flexible and movable. One that is very responsive to the children. If you're seeing that, if you have a a well-executed circle time, um, children are engaged, they are interacting, they are part of it. It's not just the teacher. Oftentimes teachers will find that their circle time, it's my time to perform. And so they're gonna be my audience. Um, And so uh, I think that a a well-executed circle time looks like that, it's very flexible, children are engaged. Once you see, and a very responsive teacher, once they see children kind of not disengaging, they want to leave the circle time, but they're still going. Yeah. Um, that's when it becomes that feeling of, oh my gosh, what's happening. That's when my anxiety starts yeah. going because teachers are not being responsive to children's needs or taking their cue. And so that's when it falls apart. And then teach children are being blamed for, well, my circle time didn't work because yep. Joey wasn't, Joey was hitting their friend or so-and-so was, you know, interrupting whatever Absolutely. it may be. It has to be responsive and flexible and it has to be able to move with the children. 
Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So I show a video in one of my trainings and it's just a little clip of one of the teachers that used to work at my program, reading a book to children at circle time. And I show it because none of the children are sitting on a carpet square or in an assigned spot, but every single child is engaged in that video in the story that is at hand. And I think that is so powerful. And yeah. a lot of times like teachers, early childhood teachers are like, um, I could never run a circle time without, without carpet squares or assigned spots. But <laughs> my response to that is, is then you're not, you're not being responsive to the children. You're not providing an engaging, engaging content that they actually care about. They don't, they don't care that sure. what yeah. you're doing. If you're not, you know, if you have to, yeah. you can't run a circle time without them sitting wherever they want to sit or sitting how they want to sit or sitting not on carpet squares. Yeah. So you kind of have to like, think about what it is that you're trying to get them to learn or what you're presenting to the children and the way that you're doing it. And do they actually care about it? Absolutely. I, um, I, I go back to that whole idea of a checklist for circle time. Many teachers use it as, okay, this is my time to do the calendar, to do uh, the weather, to assign mm -hmm. roles to the children, um, read a story. All those things are trying to fill in in this circle time and you're losing them and they're disengaged. And, you know, some of those things I just listed off are not developmentally appropriate. Like why Absolutely. are we still doing these things? Absolutely. Okay. What does a developmentally appropriate art area look like? to you, art or craft or whatever it is, what does that look like for you for early childhood programs? Well, art is open all day to children. So it shouldn't be an area that's just open up for, oh, this is our free choice time. Let's have the art area open. It's open up, it's opened all day. Sensory is there all day. The easel's up all day for children to come and go as they wish. There's open-ended materials for them to create things as they wish. Yeah. Um, there is no real direction. It's just open. And, and again, they are the leader of their, their journey and their learning. And, and that's just another way to support that. So it's always open-ended. I love that. Okay. Yeah. How about um, outdoor play? How does that fit into development oh, appropriate well, practice? I've been fortunate and in, um, in my career to work with a few programs that we did true indoor outdoor classroom where children can flow from inside to outside Love and what that. is, yeah, it's, it's the best. It truly yeah. is the best. Um, instead of having your scheduled recess time, what, what so many classrooms call it is recess. Um, people aren't using the outdoor enough. Um, children need to get out and explore. And I'm a huge believer and I'm sure you are is whatever you have in the classroom, you can have outside and you can have those environments yes. set up where if they, maybe they don't want to climb the jungle gym but they want to paint outside because it just feels good. The sun is out and, and the air is fresh and they just, yeah. it's such a, a wonderful thing for kids. They or they want to read, whatever it may be, they can explore. Um, I had a, this awesome experience at my community college that I worked at where I was really a part of creating the outdoor space. We were doing a whole outdoor uh, renovation project and we eliminated all of the play structures. It was like, there's no benefit for this. We can yeah. build big boulders in for kids to climb on. We can, you know, um, we had animals, we had goats, we had all these things where it was just so great. We had musical instruments outside. 
we're not listening to music, we're playing the music. Um, and so such a wide variety. And so I was, I, I feel like I was spoiled from that experience because now every experience I go into or every role I go into, I'm like, I, I want that. Kids need this, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Last question. And this is kind of a biggie. So, yeah. and you've maybe answered it indirectly with other questions, but let's put it all together for everybody. So what does a developmentally appropriate environment as a whole look like? When you walk into the classroom, we've already kind of touched on a few of the things, but mm. is there anything else? So we've talked about relationships and we've talked about, um, uh, we've talked about being able to hear the children's voices more than the adults. We've talked about circle time. We've talked about process art, but as what else is in the environment and how the environment is run and set up that would be developmentally appropriate? Yeah. It's a mutually respectful environment where um, teachers are fully responsive to the needs of children all the time, mm-hmm. um, where the teachers in the environment are supporting each other and the goal to support children. And mm-hmm. so those relationships are just, everything's just flowing. Um, and it's always based around the needs of the children. Um, the environment is responsive to the needs of the children in terms of adding in materials when we need to add in materials, yeah. if we're seeing a certain um, you know, thing go a certain way, we want to scaffold their learning. It's um, ever changing yeah. based on the needs of the children. It, it's just, that's what it is about. It's about honoring children and allowing Absolutely. them to be children as long as possible and respecting mm. them in a way that, you know, they should be respected. Yes. And, yeah. I think we could come up with so many examples I mean, of, like, yeah. of uh, what is developmentally appropriate, but then also like, what isn't. And, um, yeah, I think also it's very, very important to make sure that each child feels represented in your classroom for sure. in, you know, their own families and their cultures and their communities. And, Mm. um, so that everybody feels like they have a place there. Yeah. Um, and I feel like another big thing to note is that like, the children run the classroom. Like yeah. they have the capability to bring a block to the kitchen to use it as a a plate or whatever yeah. it may be. You know, there's like cross-contamination mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's one thing that adults like to have control over is, sure. you know, telling yes. children where and when they can yes. play yes. and what they can play with and where they can't yes. take things and where they can take things. And um yeah, I think that when you see that the children are more in control of the yeah. space than the adults, I think that yeah. that's another good sign that it's developmentally appropriate. For sure. Teachers releasing that control is so funny that you bring that up with, you know, having the ability to bring something from the kitchen area to another area. And that causes so much stress for a teacher, I think. <laughs> and if they just let go of that control, oh my gosh, the learning that could take place in another area with an item from another area, incredible, right? Absolutely. And then I think your stress level just goes down once you like, once you, it's kind of like, um, the, the, where you have to be the type of therapy where you have to, and I'm not, I am not like likening (laughs) teaching to needing therapy or in any way, shape or form, but, um, what is it where you have to like, if you've got something you're trying to work through, you have to like put yourself in front of it 
yes. multiple times so that it just gets easier and easier and easier. I think that that is what we can do in early childhood environments to make them more developmentally appropriate is to like do things that make you feel like, uh, as the yeah. teacher or yeah. caregiver, but have to do it multiple times because then over time that goes away, that yes. feeling of, oh, like being out of control Mm-hmm. so that you need control. I think that over time it subsides and then it's just the anxiety releases and the stress releases. And it's just so much more enjoyable to go to work. And it yes. feels more like play to you. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. 100% agree with that. And I also think teachers need to place themselves in, in the mindset of a child um, because none of us like to be boxed in, you know, yeah. and when we box people in, then they start to sort of rebel, right? And so Absolutely. I think that, you know, the less we box children in and allow them to spread their wings and grow and explore, the better for everybody all the way around. Absolutely. Yeah. That was gold. I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. Um. So tell people where they can connect with you, Jean Marie. Where What do you got going on? Yeah. So I started up an Instagram page called the early childhood point of view, the ECE POV. You can find me on Instagram. And I just start started a few months ago, feeding information, all my experience and knowledge, yeah. just putting it out there Absolutely. Um, to help and mentor maybe teachers who are looking to reinvent their teaching style, maybe even parents who don't know what Absolutely. a quality program should look like. So I'm just feeding information at this point and Love hope that it. I can and touch the lives of teachers and parents. Yes. And in the end, it's touching the lives of children, which is so important to me. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So we'll link your Instagram in the show notes so that people can connect with you and find out more about how they can connect with you. Send you messages there if they have questions. Thank you for your time. Thank oh you gosh, for advocating you. for children. I appreciate you and the work that you're doing so much. Thank you so much, Kristen. Mm-hmm. If you liked what you heard today, share this podcast with your coworkers, admin, or maybe even your partner. And I love getting five-star reviews so more people can embrace play. Hit follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. Or connect with me on Instagram or my website, kristenrbpeterson.com. Until next time.